For me, the most important learning is that interviewees and hiring managers have to have more patience with this digital world and digital interaction, right? A lot of people might not feel very comfortable or might not excel like they would in a physical environment because they sat behind the screen. So you need to be prepared to allow a bit more time for that person to express their thoughts, explain who they are. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors Podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by George Capellas. George is currently regional head of marketing for Diddy, and we caught up to discuss one of the big hiring challenges right now. How do you hire and retain a marketing team when we're all working remotely? I hope you enjoy. So welcome to the Market Mentors Podcast, George. Hello, and thanks for having me, Matt. Absolute pleasure. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know a little bit more about your experience as a marketer. Of course. So my career spans uh, roughly 17, 18 years now going on to 20, which means I'm a little bit older than I would like to, but uh, (laughs) we'll bypass that. I started off in the events world, so part of marketing, which is events and sponsorships. And then I gradually moved on to more core marketing roles. So I worked both client side and agency side. My career started off client side with Vodafone, big brand, worked both here in London at the group function, but I also did a local marketing role in Greece where I'm originally from because I'm half British, half Greek. Then I've moved on to companies like Shell, so big energy corporates, Huawei, Chinese smartphone maker, Didi right now, Chinese ride-hailing giant. And I've also done startup roles, which were very interesting because I was able to go from a very big corporate environment, you know, with like 100,000 employees to a company with two employees or a company with five employees. And I really enjoyed that transition and that challenge that came with it. Awesome. And you don't actually see that transition very often. I mean, we get a lot of startup clients that say to us, they want people with that sort of startup experience. So it's interesting seeing that you've made the shift there, which is really cool. Yeah, it was a conscious decision. Sorry, I was going to make a point about this. At some point in my career in 2015, having seen the momentum with startups, the money that was poured into it, and also that end game, which is always like, oh, if I get a nice portion of shares and one day there's a big financial event, whether through a merger, an acquisition or an IPO, I could get a big bunch of money and hopefully not have to work for the rest of my life. Obviously, it's a dream not come true yet. But it's still there. But the decision was conscious because I wanted to go into that space where it's much easier to prove yourself Mm. and show your actual value because you don't have the resources you have when you work in a big corporate environment and you have millions in your budget. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in big companies, you tend to be a sort of cog in a very big wheel, don't you? So it's quite hard to show very easily the material impact you're having. Very different in startup land. You can be quite exposed at times, which is obviously the challenge as well as it being really exciting. So we're obviously here to talk about how to sort of hire and retain a marketing team now that most companies are sort of generally working remotely. But before we all went to remote, how have you generally gone about sort of hiring people? What was the processes that you went through before all this remote stuff happened? The uh, traditional process, nothing that is not known to all the people that listen to this podcast and your audience. It's put the request in with HR 
obviously write the job description down. Then HR starts reaching out through either LinkedIn or through their network or through your own personal network. Then going through the whole process of interviewing people, filtering first, obviously, the big chunk of CVs that will come through, then having to do those face-to-face interviews and finally trying to decide on the best candidate for the role. So I don't think there's anything that is different from what people already know and have been doing. And of course, I'm sure we'll discuss how that has changed through the pandemic and through everything going very, very digital. Indeed. I feel that these two years of the pandemic and this whole, I call it digitalization, even though it's not a great English word, It's given a different perspective to recruiting and retaining talent, which I think is both positive and negative because there's always a negative side to everything. Indeed, indeed. And just to put a bit of context behind it then, when COVID hit, how did that sort of affect your business? Because for a lot of companies that we were dealing with, hiring got put on hold. But for some other businesses, it was sort of business as usual, really. It was actually business as usual for us. And even more interesting, we were about to launch in the UK and in Europe. So we were on a hiring spree in the midst of the pandemic. I remember March 2021, I was the first person in the office and I would come here every day by myself. And we were literally on a massive hiring spree. Whether that was an exception or not, I can't really say. But I can tell you that the experience I had was like in the midst of a pandemic, we were going through a very big hiring process, which was great because it meant that we had to put at full force what we thought would be the best way of doing recruiting in a pandemic world. Awesome. You just kind of throw it into it and you've just got to get on with it, haven't you, really? So which I guess is how a lot of marketeers have felt once that sort of digitalization, as you call it, sort of happened, really. A lot of the old tactics like physical events went right out the window straight away. So once you were in there, you were kind of on your own, you were building your team, but obviously everybody was fully remote. Nobody wanted to meet up with people. Nobody wanted to sort of travel, really. How did the sort of hiring process change then for you? So the one thing that changes, obviously, that physical interaction, right? That's the key element that existed before and didn't exist. And still, in some cases, even now, it doesn't exist, right? And we all know that people, human beings, are hardwired to create an impression in their mind, the first impression by seeing somebody, right? When you see somebody face to face, you always create a first impression in your mind, whether good or bad, right? Mm. And it's almost like an unconscious bias that you have when you first meet somebody. That has gone because that can affect the course of an interview, right? In many ways. And there's a lot of people out there who have a lot of biases when they see somebody who could be short, could be tall, Mm. any little detail, but you don't have that anymore, right? You literally Mm. just have a face on the screen. So Mm. taking that element of the interview out of the equation completely means that you have to find also something to replace it because you are literally just talking to a screen. So for me, and I think generally for the company, because we started off by doing this in agreement with my line manager that this should be the best way forward. We also implemented it as we went across in other teams, right? Because it seemed to be like from the success rate that we had and the people that we brought on board, it was a successful, I wouldn't call it experiment, but process, right? A a new element in the hiring process. So what we did is we made sure that for every single role that we put out there, there was also a business challenge that went with it. 
right? A business challenge that you would give to the candidate. You would give them at least a couple of weeks to make sure that they have enough time to prepare a response to that business challenge, right? Because what that business challenge did, it basically showed whether the other person, first of all, really wanted the role, right? Because they had to put some work in it. It wasn't just like a matter of yourself asking me 10 questions and if I answer them correctly, I might get the job or I might move on to the next stage. You actually had to do research. You actually had to go through a thought process, think about strategy, think about what you're going to put on the slides or the Word document, whatever you were preparing. Right? That automatically would eliminate any person that didn't put enough work behind it or effort to show that they really wanted the role. That was one of the critical, let's say, filters that this kind of business challenge helped us implement and put into the hiring process due to the lack of that physical interaction Mm. you have with people where you kind of try to understand them and get to know who they are better. Mm. At what point did you sort of give them that process then? Was that kind of upfront before the initial conversation then or was it sort of after that initial conversation? Yeah. So once HR had submitted 10 resumes Mm. and we were about to interview 10 people, every single one of them would have that business challenge. So we implemented it from the beginning rather than leaving it to the last minute. Because Mm. what that did is it meant that from the first call or interview that you had with that person, Mm. instead of asking generic questions, you know, like the ones that you tick boxes about people, Mm. you actually dived into a business challenge, understood how that person thought, how much effort they put into the work that they did, how they presented the work, right? Which is really important because it's not just about the work, but it's also how you present it, how you talk about it. Then it was much easier to move on to the next stage because the next stage, you already had a very good idea of what that person was able to do within a matter of, let's say, a week or two weeks, whatever Mm -hmm. amount of time you had given them to prepare this business challenge. It also kind of gave the interviewee or myself, the hiring manager, a good indication of how these people perform under Mm. a certain amount of pressure. Because I can imagine you have an existing job, you're trying to get Mm. a new one, and this new job is giving you a business challenge, which means you have to put in some work after the five or six o'clock when you finish your daytime job to make sure that you make a good impression and you get the job at the end of the day. I always like the idea of sort of giving people a business challenge because, you know, I think the marketeers that you want to hire are going to relish that kind of situation because they want to think, they want to think of ideas, put together sort of a strategy based on kind of what they know. So obviously time's always the limiting factor. And as you sort of alluded to, you're always going to get a bit of a drop off if you're asking for candidates to do that kind of upfront. But you know, it's not always that they need to come up with the exact answer. It's more about how do they approach it? What's their thought process? Are they making sense with what they're talking about? So obviously there wasn't a blueprint to follow, I guess, like a lot of companies generally during this time. But from having sort of hired remotely and built this team remotely then, what have been some of the learnings you've had then through this process? For me, the most important learning is that interviewees and hiring managers have to have more patience with this digital world and digital interaction, right? A lot of people might not feel very comfortable or might not excel like they would in a physical environment because it's sat behind the screen. So you need to be prepared to allow a bit more time for that person to express their thoughts, explain who they are, 
if you're doing a business challenge like we did, make sure you allow them enough time to be able to present properly, right? Mm. Ask questions. Don't be critical right away. Don't try mm. to judge somebody's work. If you see that they are stuck a little bit, and as you correctly mentioned before, they won't have all the inside information that I have. If you give them business challenge about your company, they are guessing mm. to a certain extent plus whatever homework they can do. So you need to allow them that time by being patient and by asking them the right questions to make sure that they give you what you need and and also make them feel comfortable. The worst thing you can do is in this environment where it's very much... I wouldn't call it emotionless because you can still see the other person and any kind of facial expressions that they do, but it's still not the same by being in the same room, right? You can't read body language. So therefore, you need to make sure that you fill in that gap by being more empathetic and asking questions and being a bit more patient with that person who's actually interviewing. Some people might be really good, right? Some Mm. people might have practiced so much that they, you know, Zoom calls or team calls or any calls for them are like a game. Mm. They get it. But not everybody is in the same space, especially if you're talking to younger people who are just starting their career, they're a bit in more junior roles, so they haven't done interviews before, or as many as you would like to. Sounds good. And bearing in mind, you hadn't really sort of worked as a remote marketing team previously then. What did you do to make sure that people were sort of feeling connected then? So for me, the main thing as a leader, and I am looking after 21 people across three different countries, right, from Japan and Australia, so very different time zones. What I implemented as a leader was I had to sacrifice more of my personal time to make sure that I was always there for my team, right? Mm -hmm. Because you don't have that office environment and that physical interaction where the other person is seeing you every day Mm. and you have to have a Zoom call to see the other person. Otherwise, you're literally just chatting on a messenger. It means that there is more of a need from your team members to see you in inverted Mm. commas. What that means is you need to become more available to their messages, to their emails, to their calls, right? And that means you need to sacrifice some of your time, but at the end of the day, it helps them be more productive because they know you're there for them because they can't see you physically you're not in the office where they can just go like hey George can I just ask you a quick question that doesn't exist anymore right because even if on a messenger you just go like hey George can I ask you a question that doesn't mean I see that question because I might be doing a million other things right Mm. and especially when you have these long feeds of conversations everything can get lost so so easily so you need to make yourself more available, both, I would say, mentally and digitally, not physically, because mm. you can't have that physical interaction. I saw it tangibly in results because we do a performance review here at Didi, which is very, very thorough, and it's all data-driven, right? Mm. You get peer-reviewed, manager-reviewed, um, subordinate-reviewed by as many people as you can, and then you get data points. And I saw that that actually helped my performance review be a really good one because people thought that I was there for them, that I was there to answer any question, whether it was a personal, professional question, a small question, a silly question in inverted commas, or a serious question, whatever that was, it helped them feel that I was there for them, even though I couldn't be physically there for them. Yeah. And do you think that maybe the interactions that you have are just a little bit more meaningful because of that? Whereas I think sometimes when you're in office physically together, because you're physically together, you kind of just assume that you're kind of having contact with people. Whereas if you're remotely, then the conversations that you have, as long as you're doing that frequently enough, perhaps just become a little bit more meaningful 
wonderful because you know that you're remote. So maybe the conversations get a bit deeper. Maybe the conversations are a bit more orientated around, look, how are you? How are you performing? Is there anything I can do to sort of help you? Ron, just assuming everything's okay because they seem okay when you're across the room from them. You're absolutely right. And I did think about this before our conversation. And again, it also depends on the team leader slash manager, right? Because a lot of people can use this as an excuse to avoid conversation Mm. because it's easier. But for me personally, I use it as an excuse to actually dig deeper and try to find out more and show more empathy to people. So there are two things that I did in every single conversation I had, and I still have, right, with team members. That was I started the conversation with how are you? I actually meant it, you know, tell me how are you? Is everything okay, personally or not? And that could be in a 10-minute conversation, a one-hour conversation. That could be in a group chat with 10 people or on a one-to-one. And then I also finished the conversation with, let me know if there's anything else that you guys need from me. Hmm. You need something that I need to sort out. We've talked about everything. Are there any other issues that anybody wants to bring up that you might not feel comfortable? Shall we schedule another one-to-one? So those two little questions, intro and outro, helped frame a conversation in a much more empathetic way and help people feel that they are listened to by their manager, right? Even though I can't sort every single problem there is. I know Mm. that, right? There are Mm. some things that are completely out of my control. But at least I am showing care and empathy to the people that I manage so they can feel that they can trust me. They can be productive because they're not just working aimlessly and hopelessly for Mm. something that's never going to happen, for example. Yeah, makes sense. And obviously remote isn't for everybody. You know, a lot of roles these days are kind of hybrid roles, aren't they? I mean, how are you sort of assessing whether or not people you're interviewing them would be kind of productive in a remote setup or at least that it would suit them? It's a very difficult thing to be able to assess that from an interview. And I think going back to the business challenge that uh, I mentioned before, I think the financial disclaimer that investment funds have is very, very true here, right? Current performance is not an indication of future performance. So we always have to take that into consideration that somebody might excel, but then when they start working, they might not be into the job or they might have personal issues. You never, never know. So I think it's very difficult to be able to assess that until you actually put it into practice. Now, again, personally, I'm a hybrid worker, right? Mm. I love coming into the office because I love getting out of the house. I just love that daily routine of going into the office, you Mm. know. But at the same time, I like the flexibility of when I don't want to do that and I need to stay at home or because I have to start a call at 7 a.m. in the morning, which means I would have to wake up at like silly o'clock to get into the office. I can just do it at home. So I love that flexibility. Again, everybody's different. And I think you have to assess that as you work with people. And again, it goes back to that point I mentioned about the how are you question. Mm. If you see somebody struggling or not performing as good as, you need to have that conversation about how are you? Is there something that we can help you with before you launch into any kind of performance review and telling them that they're not doing a great job? Because if they're not performing because of this new world that we're living in, then let's find a way to sort it out. Let's find a solution so we can make you more productive. No, it makes sense. And obviously things like performance and output are really important, especially in a CEO's eyes. And obviously moving to a remote business is difficult for some companies because they don't necessarily see the workforce doing the work on a sort of day-to-day basis. The flip side of that is we've got our commuting time back. There is a little bit more flexibility there. Talk about early calls and late calls. So a flip of that is that people then become a bit 
overworked or overwhelmed. They're putting in more hours than they should be because the work is there to do. But how do you sort of balance that? How do you sort of ensure the people that are working for you are being productive without just going too far? I've already answered that question by what I mentioned before, the framing the conversation always around being as empathetic as possible, right? Mm. Asking them, how are you? And also finishing on with, is there anything else I can provide for you, I can help you with? Because what I saw from my personal experience, what I found out is that in cases where people did feel overworked, and I've had cases like that, when we went through that conversation and I said, how are you guys today? Is everything okay? They said, no, we actually feel overworked. Okay, mm. let's identify where the problem is and how we can sort it out. Because ultimately, overwork will come whether you're a hybrid worker or remote worker or an office worker, right? Even before COVID, there were a lot of people who were overworked or being burnt out or ended up taking six months leave because they just couldn't work anymore. Mm. And yes, the digitalization has enabled work to always be on for us, but at the same time, we can switch off if we want to, right? As long as our managers, because I have a boss, like everybody has a boss, are understanding that after a certain time, I will not be able to work because I'm done for the day. Mm. So you set ground rules, let's say. I'm not even talking about company policies because, you know, there might be a company policy, but at the same time, as a manager, if, for example, I'm working with a completely different time zone, I need to set boundaries with them and they have to do with me. So if you do that, by first finding out what the problem is, asking, having that conversation, then you can set the boundaries and then you'll have a solution to the overworking issue. Yeah, I think it's tricky, like you mentioned, where the boundaries have blurred, haven't they, between a personal life and a work life, because simply your laptop is just, you know, within arm's reach when you're at home. And you talk about sort of company policies, but now there are country policies, aren't there, where you can't message an employee outside of what they would class sort of working hours. So it's an interesting predicament, really. Portugal did this. They did indeed. What about tools then? Obviously, we are working remote. We're not as connected. Are there any sort of tools that you perhaps recommend over and above a sort of video conferencing type stuff to sort of run a successfully remote team then? To be very honest, apart from the normal tools that everybody has at their disposal, which is usually your internal messages, whether it's a Microsoft Teams or whether it's your own one. So at my company, we have our own internal messenger, your video calls, your Zoom calls, your Teams calls, your hop-in calls, whatever it is. Every tool that is out there has a certain level of productivity attached to it, which I think mm. is good. But I don't think there's anything else out there that I've personally seen that makes a huge difference. I believe it all comes down to the person, right? It's not about the mm. tool. It's about the people using the tools because tools can be great, but they can also be <laughs> harmful. Same way people talk about social media. You can be a social media, but you can be fine using it, or you can be a social media, you can be addicted to it because you're using too much of it. So again, it all comes down to how the people use those tools because I can abuse an internal messaging tool by sending messages constantly to people and making them feel that mm. we're constantly working. Or I can stop for a minute and say, wait, hold on a minute. Can I send this tomorrow? Yes. Is the world going to change or is the company going to overnight go bust if I don't send this message? No. So therefore, me as a manager, I have to take a step back and think, do I need to send these messages? Do I need to send these emails now? Can I just like schedule a call? So then the person goes, okay, I have a call tomorrow. We can discuss everything rather than trying to sort out everything through these digital tools that we have. Perfect. And finally, if people want to reach out to you, if people want to talk to you about anything, maybe want to join your business, then what's the best way of them get in touch with you, George? My email address, my LinkedIn, if they get hold of my number, WhatsApp, 
by nature, I'm a very extrovert and communicative person. So for me, I have all these tools at my disposal. So I'm literally not glued to them, but I do have a response time like a customer service of (laughs) under, let's say, two to three minutes, right? What I try and do, and I think it reflects how I want other people to treat me, is an acknowledgement of the message Mm. is good. Even Mm. if you cannot respond to the message right now, you can easily say, hi, I've seen it, I'll come back to you tomorrow. The facelessness that we go through with these digital tools makes it very difficult to know whether the other person has read it, they've read it and ignored it, they've read it but they don't know what to answer, or they read it and suddenly they've disappeared. You have no idea, right? So it's good to give some sort of acknowledgement to the other person on the other side of that digital line to make sure that they know what's going on and they know what they're getting. I do that for my personal relationships too, right? Not just work. Yeah. Well, it's been really fascinating to talk to you. Obviously, the COVID pandemic has been tough for many, many reasons. But it's really interesting just to hear you talk about how you've gone to hire a remote team, really. So it can be done and it can be done very successfully. So thank you very much for sharing your knowledge and experience. Absolutely. Thank you for hosting me on the show. No worries. Pleasure. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.